Is Israel's genocidal war against the people of Gaza and its targeted assassination of senior Hamas leaders in Beirut about to incite an even larger regional war in the Middle East. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Socialist Program. I'm your host, Brian Becker. Today we're talking once again with Professor Mohammed Morandi. Mohammed is an expert on American studies and post-colonial literature. He teaches at the University of Tehran. We're speaking to him from Iran. Welcome back, Mohammed. Thank you, Brian. I know where you are, there is, of course, great consternation, grief, anger, a funeral ceremony marking the assassination of General Qasem Soleimani, who was killed four years ago today in a targeted assassination by Donald Trump, ordered by Donald Trump at the airport in Baghdad. Thousands, tens of thousands of mourners came to remember him, to commemorate his life. And there was a a powerful explosion. According to media reports here, more than 100 people are dead, many, many more injured. In other words, a real terrorist attack against those who were attending a funeral ceremony for General Soleimani. At the same time, in just days after the targeted assassination of a senior Hamas political leader, Sheikh Salah, in Beirut, and the resistance forces in Lebanon, specifically Hezbollah, had said that targeted assassinations or Lebanon, Beirut, would not be allowed to be used as territory for these kind of assassinations. When you look at the whole picture, you can't but come to the conclusion that instead of the war coming to an end, it's about to get bigger and wider. Anyway, I want to get your thoughts about the events of the last couple of days. I agree. It seems that this is where things may be heading. The air attacks today which killed over 100 Iranians, maybe well over 100 Iranians, can be interpreted within this context that the Israeli regime is trying to escalate. Just yesterday, we had the murder of a senior Hamas official along with his aides. He was closely linked to Iran and the resistance inside Palestine. Last week, we had the assassination of a senior Iranian general in Syria in another terrorist attack uh, through an airstrike. And he was also assisting the resistance, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and Hezbollah. And then we have this horrific attack today. And since the Israeli regime is carrying out a genocide in Gaza, it's clear that they have no respect for human life. So fingers are pointing towards Israel right now. The belief is that Netanyahu wants to escalate the war because of his own personal interests. He's afraid that he would be sent to jail if, he, if the war halts or if there's a ceasefire, if the war ends, that he'd be put aside and then he'd be put on trial. So he has a vested interest in continuing the war. 
Many Israelis want to continue the war, but the rest of the world wants the war to end. Even the United States really needs the war to end because it is destroying U.S. credibility. It has already destroyed U.S. credibility, U.S. soft power, Western soft power, European soft power, because they are seen by the international community as supporting this Holocaust. So at the moment, the number one suspect is Netanyahu. I noticed when the leader of Hezbollah, Nasrallah, made a speech, made it earlier today, Mohammed. As a matter of fact, it's still going on as we're recording this program. He made note of the fact that public opinion around the world, including in the West, including in the United States, has dramatically shifted. And he made the point. This is the leader of Hezbollah in Lebanon. He said, now in the United States, more than 50% of the youth who don't get a chance to, quote, see our media, meaning the media of Arab countries or Iranian media, they only get to see and are spoon-fed basically from U.S. mainstream media, pro-Israeli propaganda, that 50% of the young people have turned against Israel. This includes many Jewish Americans, by the way, young Jewish Americans. And where I am in New York, Mohammed, we have been in the streets. And I, when I say we, I mean thousands and thousands of people have been in the streets almost every day. On November 4th, there was a half a million in Washington, the largest pro-Palestine demo in U.S. history. Coming up on January 13th, there's going to be another massive protest. It seems to me, and I think this is reflected in the leader of Hezbollah's comments, that world opinion has shifted in a dramatic way, a very dramatic way. And as happened in the case of South Africa, when global opinion shifts, in this day and age at least, it matters. It matters. Anyway, from your perspective, you're in Iran. What's your take on all of that? Well, I would actually add that even in places like Iran and in other countries in West Asia, I would assume that the feelings towards Israel, the Israeli regime, have hardened. So while ordinary Iranians are already hostile towards the apartheid regime, now the hatred is much worse because the scenes that we've been seeing. 24 hours a day, literally, and often live, they're just making people more outraged and more angry and more determined to end the apartheid regime. So the greatest catastrophe for the Israeli regime was not October the 7th. That was, of course, a major intelligence defeat, a major military defeat. And we now know that the Israeli regime murdered its own people. We know a lot of the propaganda that they've been putting out has turned out to be dishonest, the claims of rape, beheadings, and, and all that. That has all been a defeat. And also the defeat over the past couple of months where they failed to gain Gaza, where Hamas and Islamic Jihad and others capable of showing their ability to defeat the Israelis on the battlefield, that is also very important. But the greatest defeat is the very fact that the Israelis have exposed themselves as genocidal. They've exposed themselves in what people in this region are calling a Holocaust. And they've created a hatred across the globe and in the West. And as you rightly pointed out, this is not about Muslims or Christians. This is universal. Some of the most important and most effective anti-Zionist voices today are young Jews. 
And they are at the forefront of the resistance against this racist, ethno-supremacist ideology. So the world has changed dramatically. Israel has been shown to be militarily weak. It has been shown to be weak with regards to its intelligence capabilities. Even if one was to believe that the Israelis allowed the attack to happen, it still shows the regime to be incompetent and capable. It doesn't fix anything in that regard. But this regime that is now so widely despised across the region in the world, I've been to China twice since the war began, and the mood is very anti-Israeli. I've been to Russia, the mood very much against Israel, whereas it wasn't like this before. Societies were divided or indifferent in the past. So in the world today, as you rightly say, these things matter. And just as important is the fact that young people in the West are turning against the Israeli regime despite the propaganda. This, in my opinion, is the beginning of the end of the Zionist project. It cannot sustain itself, the regime, under these circumstances. And I think it is also proven, the events of the past three months, that the regime the Israeli regime, its existence is detrimental to the interests of Western countries. It is detrimental to their interests because the, every single murder that's being carried out in Gaza and the West Bank, for that matter, or the terror attacks in Lebanon or in Syria or in Iran, all of these are harming the United States and Europe. All of these are people consider the Americans to be the enablers of this genocide, the Europeans to be enablers of this genocide, the UK and the Canadians to be enablers of this genocide. So while the West is on the decline economically, while it has faced defeat in its war against Russia and Ukraine, it is now destroying its soft power or already has destroyed its soft power by supporting the Israeli regime. Let's go back to what might be speculative on our part. And, you know, it, it can't be more than speculative because we're observing and trying to assess and have perspective. But neither you or I are a fly on the wall inside the chambers of decision makers. So you have, on the one hand, Netanyahu benefits from the prolongation of the war because, as you pointed out, if the war ends, the culpability within Israeli society for the failures on October 7th and the subsequent failures will fall on Netanyahu. He's already a polarizing figure. His regime is the most racist, openly, explicitly racist and anti-democratic regime. So Israeli public opinion is already sharply divided. If the war ends tomorrow, Netanyahu is toast. He's gone. He's going to be removed and, and probably will stand trial and, and may very likely go to prison. So he has an interest in, in expanding the war. So the assassination of a senior political Hamas leader in Beirut, in another country, that you know potentially benefits Netanyahu because it expands the war. Let's just talk about the, the calculations of resistance forces inside of Lebanon. You have, of course, Hezbollah, which is a mainstream political force for Americans who don't know this. It's not a shadowy small group. It's a major factor in, in Lebanese politics. You have the Iranian government itself, which is in solidarity with the people in Gaza and also has a relationship with Hezbollah. 
how do they look at this terrain, the geostrategic and, and military terrain, knowing that Netanyahu wants to expand and widen the war? Does that lead to restraint on the part of the Lebanese, restraint on the part of the Iranians? Or are there forces that say, look, regional war in a way is inevitable. We have to prepare and ready ourselves for it. Anyway, I want to just get your thinking because, again, like, we need to know what people in Lebanon are thinking. We need to know what people in Iran are thinking rather than just hearing the voices of U.S. Western media. Well, the Iranians have said that they're going to retaliate and they're going to retaliate for the terror attacks that were carried out today, although it's not 100 percent clear who carried out the attacks. But again, fingers are pointing to Tel Aviv, but we'll have to see. But the Iranians have said that they will give a harsh response. Hezbollah, Sayyid Hassan Nasrullah is speaking right now. We have to see what Hezbollah does. But I think there will be a response to the terror attack in Beirut. How that will play out, who will carry out the response from Lebanon? Would it be Hezbollah? Would it be Hamas in Lebanon? That I don't know. But there will be a response because the Israeli regime has to feel that if it carries out terror, it will be punished. And the same is true with the murder of the Iranian general, the terror attack in Damascus. But these have to be carried out in a way to also prevent the conflict from expanding and also to push the conflict towards a ceasefire. So that is going to be a difficult thing to do. And I think that Iranian planners and Hezbollah planners and Hamas, they're all thinking about how to carry this out, how to punish the Israeli regime, but at the same time to facilitate a ceasefire under terms that are acceptable to the resistance in Gaza. The important thing is that the Israeli regime has lost this war. This has been a catastrophic defeat for the Israeli regime. And therefore, they are not going to be able to impose unfavorable conditions to the resistance for a ceasefire. Right now, what the Iranians, what Ansarullah, the Yemeni armed forces are doing by blocking ships from going to Israeli ports, what Hezbollah is doing by attacking Israeli positions in northern Lebanon and forcing the Israelis to hold half their army to the north, is that they're putting pressure on the Israeli regime so that pressure would decrease on Hamas and its allies, and so that the Israeli regime would be forced to move towards a ceasefire. So within this context, how will they punish Israel? That we'll have to see. But I have no doubt that they are going to punish the Israelis. Let's go back to the assassination of General Qasem Soleimani, January 3rd, today, in U.S. time, four years ago in 2020. Mohammed, you know, I'm the director of the Answer Coalition. We sensed, you know, the days before the assassination of General Soleimani, who was arriving in Baghdad for peace talks. And the U.S. government, the Trump administration, knew he was coming for peace talks, regional peace talks. And then they, in cold-blooded fashion, used an American drone to assassinate him, blow him up and others in the Baghdad airport. So we actually had called a demonstration for January 4th, Saturday, January 4th, 
saying there's a threat of new war between the U.S. and Iran. And then the next day, General Soleimani is assassinated. And the next day we had our demonstrations and there were protests in 70 cities. I mean, people don't really know this. We had tens of thousands of people out the next day in the United States protesting this dramatic, unprovoked, criminal provocation by the Trump administration. And inside Iran, the country, which obviously has many political differences, was united in opposition to this terror attack against General Soleimani. And the Iranians promised that they would retaliate, and they did retaliate, and many, many U.S. military bases in Iraq were struck by resistance forces, and the Trump administration backed down. The Trump administration did not respond when U.S. soldiers were hit. I mean, it was a measured attack on the part of Iranian forces against U.S. bases in Iraq, but nonetheless, these attacks happened. The U.S. had to back down. The reason I'm saying this is that in America, people kind of get the impression that U.S., the United States and Israel, because it has a lot of U.S. military support, has this kind of unbridled capacity, this authority, this domination, this supremacy in all things military. But the reality is the U.S. and its allies, its proxies, its agents, in this case, the the regime in Tel Aviv, There's great limitations on what they can do. So regional war is dangerous for the U.S., as you mentioned. It's good for Netanyahu, but dangerous for U.S. imperialism and its own imperial interests in the region. I want to just talk about this because Americans, again, won't know, like, what's going on in Syria? What's going on in Yemen? They know a little bit more about that. What's going on inside Iran, inside of Lebanon? In other words, there are resistance forces with significant military capacity, much more than there used to be, who are aligned and who have capacity that actually isn't being yet used if this becomes a regional war. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yes. If there is a broadened conflict, the Israeli regime is in no position to win this conflict. They will be soundly defeated. The defense capabilities that we have in Gaza, thanks to General Soleimani, the tunnels and the factories and all that exists that is beating the Israelis on the battlefield. And of course, the Israelis, out of rage and anger, they bomb women and children as a result. These defense capabilities are already punishing the regime in Tel Aviv. Imagine what sort of capabilities exist in Yemen today. Imagine the underground facilities. Yemen, which is not surrounded like Gaza. Imagine the capabilities in Lebanon that Hezbollah has. Imagine the capabilities in Iraq and Syria. And, of course, there are the capabilities of Iran as well. So the only thing that the Israeli regime could do is to draw in the United States. But the United States cannot win a war in this region. The United States is already in conflict with China. It is at war in Ukraine by proxy. And the economy is on the decline. You have internal problems with the upcoming U.S. presidential election and the situation between Trump and the Republican Party and Biden's health. The United States is in a very difficult situation. 
And if there's conflict with Iran, the United States can't win. The United States has bases on the other side of the Persian Gulf. If there's conflict, those countries will all be seen as hostile. And therefore, their gas and oil installations will be destroyed. And that would lead to a global economic meltdown. And of course, Iran also has major capabilities, military capabilities to strike at American targets. And then there's Yemen, and then there's Lebanon, and then there's Iraq. The Americans would be expelled from Iraq and Syria. This is not one country. This is a coalition of resistance forces across West Asia that would ultimately throw the Americans out of the region. So the Americans don't want this. They have enough trouble as it is. They're constantly waging different wars while China is being peaceful and trying to develop its economy. The Russians are winning in Ukraine. This would be the least that I could say is that it would be highly damaging for the regime in Washington. And it could be more than that. So Israel wants the United States to get involved in war. And the United States knows that it would be a major mistake, if not a catastrophe, for it to enter the war. And this goes back to the point I was saying earlier, that the Israeli regime, its existence is detrimental to the interests of the United States and to the interests of the West as a whole. And the Israeli regime is willing, more than willing, to sacrifice the United States and the interests of the United States for its own selfish interests, this apartheid regime. And this is something that people in the United States should think about. There are right-wing members of the Netanyahu cabinet who have said in recent days, look, Israel is no longer a star on the American flag. We can do whatever we want. We can go it alone. We have sovereignty, which of course is nonsense because if they could go it alone, why would Israel need you know, $5 billion each and every year from the United States and have this umbrella, this protective umbrella over it at all times? But those guys in the Israeli cabinet, it's hard to say what's far right. You know, my friend said, you know, there's a fine line between the right, the far right and the third Reich. And he's not wrong about that. Like in terms of just the, the distinctions become almost meaningless in terms of the extreme racism and sort of fascistic ideology. But they're saying, we're going to clean the Palestinians out of Gaza. We're going to drive them out. We're going to have maybe 100,000 Palestinians left. We're going to reoccupy Gaza. And the U.S. can go to hell, basically. Well, that's the talk of these extreme sort of semi-fascist or fascistic elements inside the Israeli regime. But it's not accurate. And here you have seemingly wiser heads within the U.S. establishment, say Barack Obama, for instance, who said in 2011, we need to pivot to Asia, meaning not be bogged down in endless war in the Middle East, because as the U.S. was bogged down in Iraq and with Afghanistan and South Asia and elsewhere, China was rising peacefully. And the bigger prize, the bigger problem for the United States was China. So Obama, geostrategically thinking, said, let's pivot. But here we are, you know, that's 12 years ago where Obama said that. And the U.S. is still bogged down. The U.S. can't leave or isn't leaving. And you have Biden, who's about to lose the presidency. 
I mean, because people are not going to vote for Biden. Young people, Arab Americans, lots of people who would have supported Biden in the past, they're not going to vote for him. But the U.S. government seems stuck. They don't want Israel to expand the war. They want to cease fire, or they see me, that's what they say. But in all ways, they go against what they say. They, in all ways, they say, no, Israel must win. Israel must win, even though Israel can't win. Israel can't expel two million Palestinians from Gaza. But the Biden administration seems utterly incapable of taking the next step. Anyway, maybe that's transitory. I want to get your sense of it. Will the Biden administration actually do something or will it continue to be tied up by Netanyahu? It's very difficult to say. Netanyahu, as we speak, is doing whatever possible to escalate the war through the terror attacks, whether it's Iran or Lebanon or Syria. And the United States government seems incapable of forcing him to change course or unwilling to make him change course. Or maybe they're divided and some would like him to continue down the same road and other elements within the U.S. government think otherwise. At this stage, it's hard to say where things are going to go. But the further this expands, the more catastrophic it is going to be for the West. And we have to keep in mind that anyone who supports the West is going to lose. Any government in the region that supports the West is going to be weakened as a result of this. Or any government that has good relations with the West is going to be hurt by the catastrophic situation. Even those who claim to support the Palestinians, like Erdogan in Turkey, people in Turkey are attacking him for doing nothing to cut trade with Israel or to stop the oil that's flowing from Baku through Turkey to Israel. It is harming all politicians that don't take a harsh stance against the Israeli regime. And this hurts the United States. The United States has lost its soft power. It is despised across the region in a way in which I've never seen before. And the Americans don't seem to be able to make a decision one way or another. Are they going to openly support Netanyahu and expand the war? Or are they going to pull on his leash? Are they going to pull him back? We don't know. But what we do see is that this fascist regime is openly talking about ethnic cleansing. And they're openly saying that they're going to kick the Palestinian people out of Gaza. So far, they failed. And they failed in the war altogether. But they keep saying this. The Americans say that it's unacceptable, but they continue to send them all the weapons and all the equipment that they need to carry out this genocide. So how are we supposed to view the United States? How are people across the world going to view the United States? At best, the United States is seen as incapable, but I think it's increasingly seen as hypocritical. It is seen as complicit in crimes against humanity, in genocide, in what people here call a holocaust, but it's pretending that it is has a different position than Israel. Whatever the facts are, this is how the United States is being seen across the globe, and in particular, how the United States is being seen in West Asia, in North Africa. So again, I stress, this is not just a historic defeat for the Israeli regime. This is a historic defeat 
for the West, the collective West. And this will be remembered for decades to come. This is not an ordinary Holocaust. This is not an ordinary genocide. This is being broadcast on live, effectively, online. People are seeing massacres take place immediately after the event. They see it happen online, live sometimes. And then simultaneously, they see how Western leaders oppose a ceasefire or how Western governments are facilitating more murder. We've had Holocaust before in the past. We've had genocide throughout history. But this is the first time that we're seeing it literally live. And the impact of this is enormous. And the negative impact for the West is extraordinary. I cannot describe how bad it is for the United States. Even those elements in Iran that are pro-West or those people in Iran who say we must compromise with the West, they're changing their position. They are saying, you know, how can we come to any sort of compromise with this sort of regime? If the Americans are going to do this to, to the Gazans with the Israelis, then how can we ever have an agreement with the Americans? Whenever they have an opportunity, they'll do the same thing to us. I'm so glad you mentioned the, the fact that people are witnessing the genocide in real time. This is something new, Mohammed. It's I'm really glad you made this point because there's a lot to understand about how consciousness impacts politics in the modern era. And consciousness used to be, you know, for thousands of years, shaped mainly by religious institutions or the monarchs who said that they were the voice of God, that they had a divine mandate. But as society has evolved and as the technology evolves, people have access to be able to see things for themselves. They don't need the filter that used to exist for whoever the ruling class was in a given society. And even the point that I was making in the early part of this interview that people are being spoon-fed propaganda by U.S. mainstream media, that's true. But as you're pointing out, they're not simply reliant on mainstream media. The technology is such that people can actually witness this genocide themselves. And when I was a young person, the fact that the U.S. media representing a split in American, the American empire over the wisdom of continuing the war in Vietnam, we started to see media images of, the, of Vietnam. We started to see those kind of massacres every day. You know, that started to come through in mainstream media. And as a consequence, U.S. public opinion shifted. It became very anti-war. And now we're seeing that in an extraordinary way where the people at the grassroots, Mohammed, once empowered with information, meaning just being able to see things for themselves, hear things for themselves, they become a power. And it's kind of like the underdog in society globally becomes a factor. I was thinking about this in relationship to Yemen too, because there was that terrible war that the US and Saudi Arabia waged against the people of Yemen. It seemed like the people could never win. The war was so terrible. The US military and Saudi military power was so great. But here you have people in Yemen really making a difference. And at the same time, this Saudi royal family, which seemed to be ruling the roost, has had to shift its position. It was about to normalize relations with the state of Israel just three months ago. I mean, it just shows the dynamism of contemporary politics. Go ahead. It is quite extraordinary. The people of Yemen, they suffered seven years of genocide. 
the United States, the British, the French, the Germans, the Canadians were all helping the Saudis carry out this genocide. And the U.S. Navy, among others, were helping to impose starvation on Yemen. The exact same thing that the Israelis are doing today to Gaza. And because of the propaganda, much of the Arab world was antagonistic towards the people of Yemen. So while they were being starved and while they were being massacred and resisting against Western-backed aggression, many people were hostile towards Yemen. But Yemen, despite all the hardship, despite the fact that the people of the region didn't stand up for them, they stand up for Gaza. They stand up for Palestine. And they block Israeli ships. And now they've become the most popular force within the Arab world. So, Mohammed, the people of Yemen are now considered the heroes in the Arab world and undoubtedly also in Iran, given the, the fact that they've done so much to come to the support of the Palestinian people. The U.S. has sent military forces to the Middle East. The U.S. is threatening Yemen, a wider war against Yemen. Anyway, in spite of U.S. threats, it doesn't appear to me that any of the people or the resistance forces or the governments in the Middle East will necessarily change course. They're not going to drop support for the Palestinian people. They're not going to do that. There's undoubtedly a desire not to have a wider war. But when you, if you want to just make some summary comments as we get to the finish line, you know, if there's a regional war, it will be terrible for the people of the region, but it also seems like it will be a disaster for the United States and Israel, that the real road to peace here isn't expanding the war, but for a real ceasefire and an end to apartheid and occupation. Go ahead. Ultimately, the only solution is to end apartheid and a one-state solution where all Christians, Jews, Muslims are equal humans. All right, we're going to leave it right there. Mohammed Mirandi, thank you so much. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.